We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? In case you haven't heard, Blue Wire Studios just dropped their first original podcast, Golden Goal. The show gives you 10-minute episodes all about soccer legends and the moments that made them. Whether you're just learning about soccer for the first time or a diehard fan, this podcast is a great listen for everyone. The final two episodes are live right now, or binge the entire season to learn about your favorite soccer stars. Check out Blue Wire's Golden Goal, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Now let's start the show. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to They wanted to hear from team doctors and some of these hot vets for coronavirus that, in fact, they felt like it was safe to open. The fact that D. Smith did say that they heard mostly what they wanted to hear, I think is a very good sign for training camp opening on time. So that feels like good news, but no doubt about it, the NFLPA is going to be hard on the NFL to make sure that they stay with these protocols to keep these players safe when camp does open. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew here. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was ESPN's Jeff Darlington talking about the recent developments on the front of NFL training camps getting the green light to open. Chris, it's a great week for football fans, right? Yeah, training camp's opening. Hopefully that means our downloads go back up. <laughs> Chris, let's face it. We didn't get into this for the download numbers, right? No. No, we got it. We, we got into this so that we could drink beer, yell at each other over a table about football nonsense. Yeah, and you don't have to waterboard your wife, your kid who doesn't know how to listen yet, and your friends. Absolutely. And even though sometimes that still happens, this podcast, Chris, this is a passion of mine. And as And with that said, I'm in love with it. Now, Chris, we've reached, you know, for a while there, we were doing quarantine updates. I don't even, re- Chris, have you noticed that time almost seems irrelevant? Since this COVID thing started, like, calendars have stopped carrying as much weight. Dates and times and things just all seem to blend together. Yeah. I don't even know. I was trying to think. I don't even know what week of quarantine this is. It might be 16, 17. <laughs> I don't know. 
I mean, but things are opening back up. You're starting softball, right? And then I've got, I think hockey begins for me next week. Look at that. See, we're getting a sense of normalcy back. And I got—I have to admit, playing a little bit of softball was therapeutic. Chris, almost as much as doing this podcast every week after a Bills game. It, it brought back a sense of normalcy to things. And I mean, it was a little different. Don't get me wrong. Wearing masks. I mean, I, I run the team. And with a kid at home, I got to be a little bit of a Nazi, so I've got a spray bottle full of hand sanitizer, and I'm I'm on guys about not st- no spitting, no this, no that. Don't hand me the f- pen, sanitize it, Chris. I'm on people for things, but it still felt good to just get out there and do something that you would normally be doing this t- this time of year. It just it, it felt good. Now, what's new this week in the life of Chris Krueger? Not a whole lot. Quarantine, keeping you down. You can't go sit alone at bars. No. Eating lunch like some kind of orphan. No. Well, I mean, I can't really do that anymore because I work Fridays now. But, I mean, I did help Reed move yesterday into his new house. And he did. uh, Reed NFL long snapper Reed Ferguson? Yeah, Reed Ferguson. (laughs) Yeah, him and his wife also complimented me on how tan my skin looks. Oh, my God. Thanks to rollerblading at the Outer Harbor. Folks, if you see a blonde-haired, mohawked idiot with no shirt on, rollerblading down by the Buffalo waterfront, I encourage you to throw garbage. In fact, feel free to pull a big daddy and throw a stick in front of him. You have the green light for me. Yeah, I, and you also have the green light for me. I'd love to work on my agility. Oh, oh my God. Says the guy who couldn't do 13 push-ups. <laughs> Folks, I gotta tell you, the last week or so of my life has been something. Chris, having a baby i'm six weeks in i've officially reached the point where i'm you know the brett Favre analogy i keep throwing out how i feel like brett Favre at the end of his career just all concussed and taking shots and you're just foggy and everything hurts all the time i've cleared that hurdle and now i'm full on into i feel like one of those seals in a pita video i'm just i'm out here just taking blow (laughs) chris I, i i don't i don't know what's happening like i said i'm losing days i'm losing track of weeks I mean, I'm sure listeners of our podcast who have children of their own can sympathize with what I'm going through right now. I mean, the kid's growing too fast for all of his clothes. He's he's eating every every hour. He's eating way more than he's supposed to be. The kid's huge. Don't you eat every hour? That's not the point. <laughs> the point is, he's a baby. I'm a grown man. I feel like uh, Mike Gundy. I'm a man. I'm almost forty. <laughs> So I'm on I'm on the ropes here, Chris. It's a, and I got to tell you, the sense of normalcy coming from things, at least here in the Western New York area, has been nice because it's one of the few things that seems normal. I mean, I'm on Dream Street most of the time. It's it's been something, but so with that, Chris, and as things start getting back to normal, so is the so are things in the NFL, and with that, we're going to step right into this week's Bills news update. <laughs> Men ratings for NFL players. Why does anyone care? Why does anyone care? Chris Madden is the quintessential NFL video game. Created by EA Sports that has held a monopoly over football video games for the last, what, 20 years? They're the only, literally, they're the only, they yeah, I vaguely, the NFL. vaguely remember the NFL 2K and then... EA swooped in and took the uh, rights, and they could were the only uh, 
video game company that could use uh, NFL players. They've held them. They've had an iron fist around the NFL in terms of video games, football in general, for the last twenty years. And so this this year they 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 recently released their updated rankings and their ratings and their metrics for the upcoming twenty twenty one season. And Chris, that was news to me because I don't pay attention to these things. I don't care about video games. But somehow it sparked debate across every social media platform that I participate in, which seems really strange to me. And even stranger was the impact that it seemed to have on the players themselves and the conversations that somehow got started because of it. I mean, first of all, you have Trey White reacting publicly to being quote-unquote dissed by EA for his score of 89, despite the fact that the NFL voted him an All-Pro. Josh Allen and Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes are somehow going back and forth about the fact that Allen got a throwing power score of 99 out of 100. And for some reason, Chris, now that's a debate? Yeah. Not just not, not just among people who play video games, but the players themselves. It started a conversation about them having a real-life contest to settle who can throw the ball farther. What are we talking about, Chris? That would be entertaining if you did um, Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes versus Uncle Rico. He can throw it over the mountain. Is that what we would have to call it? The throw it over the mountains challenge? Yeah. I mean, does anyone forget? Our listener to the show, Super Mexican, was kind enough to remind us. For anybody out there who's like, rah, rah, I want to see my quarterback throw. How about this? Allen made a bet on his arm power once before. He bet Kyle Williams and then doubled down, betting Jim Kelly that he could throw a ball out of the stadium. I mean, he hit the upper deck, which, Chris, that, that in and of itself is, is impressive. Well, which side are you throwing it out of? Are you throwing it out of our end zone? I don't know. I don't know where he originally threw it from. So that's, that's up for debate. But here's what I do know. He... He said he could throw it over the stadium. He missed. And then everyone forgot. Everyone forgot except for our friend Super Mexican. So thank you for that. But Chris, we've already seen Patrick Mahomes do ridiculous things. Sure, our quarterback has an arm cannon. Maybe one of them could throw it. But who cares? Why are we debating this? And even more, more annoying than that is fans whinging about how they feel like their team or player or fan base was somehow disrespected by the people at EA Sports. It's mind-boggling. I mean, I'm not a part of it, Chris. I'm a 35-year-old guy who doesn't play video games. The last video game I played was Far Cry 3. I don't even... I, th- I think I saw a tweet that the bad guy from... Uh, the guy who plays Gus Fring from Breaking Bad... Okay, yeah, I know who you're he's, talking about. Okay, he's the new villain in the Far Cry series, which is on, like, their sixth game. I haven't played it in years. You're, you're going back almost almost a decade? I've never heard of Far Cry. Yeah, exactly. And I haven't touched a video game since. And then I found other hobbies, Chris. That's essentially what it came down to. Guitar, video, guitar, podcasting, laying on the couch with a beer. Literally almost anything seems more gratifying than a video game. I don't know what it is. And so I guess I have a hard time wrapping my head around why this is such a thing. I mean, I'm not their target market. I'm assuming you're not either. No, I haven't played uh, video games probably in like f- five or six years. I remember 
uh, ex-wife had a, a PS3, and I remember just because she had one, I was like, well, I guess I'll go buy NHL 14. And I played I played that. That was like the last video game I played. <laughs> Chris, you should pick up video games. Use some of the, Take some of this free time that you're skating shirtless around downtown and go play a video game or two. Do you want to buy me a console? <sighs> I want you to drop dead is what I want. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> But so with that said, you and I are not, we're not the market. So what I did was I opened up a poll to Twitter, Chris. And I essentially asked members of Bill's Mafia, after all of this hubbub that we've seen all week long about these numbers and people's reactions to them, players coming out to speak on it, whether or not people thought they actually mattered. And the results surprised me a little bit, Chris. Yes, got to, my options were yes, no, and I don't play video games. Yes, came in with 25% of the vote. I don't play video games came in with 25%, and a resounding no got half of the votes, Chris. Which made me feel better. If only because it reinforces my belief that the loudest people on social media, despite appearances, usually aren't representative of the majority on anything. But it's just still so strange to me. Well, there are people that play Madden and get paid more than you and I combined. (sighs) Don't, don't even bring that. You know, professional gamers make me sick because I go to work every day and I think to myself, there's some 17-year-old kid out there making five times my salary. Just from playing Fortnite. And sure, he's going to have carpal is. tunnel way sooner than I will. Yeah, and for the wrong reasons. He'll be able to pay. He'll be able to pay people to fan him and feed him grapes like some Roman emperor when I'm still trying to figure out my 401k so I can retire. <sighs> I mean... But it's Chris, you take a look at what's going on here. A friend of the show, Reed Ferguson, reacted negatively on Twitter to the fact that they gave him an overall score of 31. You're I bet a long it, snapper. I, I bet if he was, I bet if Reed was on FIFA, he'd have a higher rating. <laughs> Probably you're a long snapper. What good are you in the scope of Madden? Cornerback Darius Slay went off about being only an 88 despite being a three time Pro Bowler. Cam Newton is out here, Chris, talking about how his 78 overall ranking is is more quote-unquote hate. That he's going to use his motivation in 2020. Chris, it's not hate. The guy literally hasn't been good or healthy enough to play the game of football in over a year. That's not hate. That's accuracy. And yet you have players. Is it youth, Chris? Is it that video games have become such an institution to people kind of... Just that generation and a half below us. Yeah. That these things matter more. Is yeah. that what we're seeing play out here? Probably. I mean, because here's the question I found myself asking. Do you think Mean Joe Green would give a shit what some nerd with a clipboard and a tablet thought about his speed or his block shedding ability? No. I don't even think anyone would have the balls to approach that guy about it. Would Steve Young have cared in 94 if someone had told him, you know what? You're not as accurate as Dan Marino. You're not as fast as Randall Cunningham. You suck. Maybe a little, but it would have been with a middle finger in the air as he threw for 70% of his uh, 70% completion percentage, rushed for seven touchdowns, and hoisted the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the year. Chris, he was one of the most electrifying men in sports entertainment. He was the rock before the rock was the rock. That season cemented him as one of the all-time greats. Look at... A more modern comparison. 
Does Tom Brady give a shit if his athletic and speed metrics, according to EA Sports, are worse than some of the referees that they program into the game? Absolutely not. In fact, if you brought it up to him, Chris, you know what he's going to do? He would shoot you that stupid million-dollar grin of his. He'd blind you with the light refracting off of all those Super Bowl rings. He'd let a little bit of air out of your tires, and he'd run away. But he'd probably have a problem with his picture on Madden. I would have used a different <laughs> one. I would have used this one of me wearing a fur coat. <laughs> it's just, let, let me ask you a question, Chris. And since we're not video game people, do you care about what Pro Football Focus thinks about players? No. Okay. Well, they use the same sort of system EA Sports and Madden do. They're just algorithms that process chunks of statistical data and spit out a number that they use to signify a measure of ability. That's it. That's all it is. How often do we as Bills fans trash the people over at PFF for some of the nonsense stances that they take because of this data that they somehow aggregate? Yeah, we got Bills Mafia definitely has a problem with PFF. And PFF has a problem with almost every player on the Bills roster. <laughs> so, so if we can get together and firmly decide as a fan base that we don't give a damn what PFF thinks, why are we here talking about Madden, Chris? <laughs> Ultimately, the best players of all time wouldn't care. I don't know why we'd care. In fact, I think we should care even less. Guys, sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and prop bets to bet all available on Bet Online 24-7. On the entertainment side, Floyd Money Mayweather joins Bet Online to bring you a brand new segment, The Ice is Right. Floyd talks about all his jewelry and gives you the chance to bet on the cost of his bling to win some great prizes. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And speaking of gambling, Chris, there's a lot of people who would have lost a lot of money if we had called it out on them. Chris, how recently do you recall people saying there would be no NFL season, there's no training camp, none of this is happening, and Every I day know on this Twitter. for a fact. Every day on Twitter. Oh, I if they had been over at betonline.ag, they would have been losing their shirts, and it would have been funny to me. But so here for the meat and potatoes of tonight's show, the NFL training camps have gotten the green light, and we're going to talk about what that means for the NFL and what it means for our Buffalo Bills. Chris, first, a toast. As I pour myself a little bit of this rye whiskey, you know, we're having an in-depth fancy conversation, calls for a fancy beverage. Raise your glass, sir. Ah, it's smooth. Football is back! But with that said, the road ahead, it's, it's uncertain. And honestly, there's a lot to digest and kind of parse through as it pertains to the NFL, the NFLPA, and what it means for our Buffalo Bills. And let's face it. I've already, I'm already three beers deep. I just poured myself some whiskey. For a conversation as nuanced as what we're about to get into, you guys as our listeners don't want to hear me blather at Chris about what I know and what he doesn't. Which isn't much of a difference. <laughs> so that's why we've gone out and gotten a guest who is more familiar with the Buffalo Bills trim, 
more familiar with the Buffalo Bills situation and more than familiar with Buffalo Bills training camp, Mr. Ryan Lacell of the Rock Sports Network. How are you tonight, sir? I'm great. Anytime I get to join you guys is a good time, and I always like to bring a little culture to your show, so I'm happy to be here. <laughs> bring a little culture. Yeah. I mean, when I think of culture, I think of Rochester, New York. I'll say this, though, Chris. We, <laughs> we don't really have a leg to stand on. I mean, I, I, I'm drinking Utica Club and whiskey. You have a blonde mohawk and just confessed to rollerblading shirtless. Yeah, I'll <laughs> confess to that again next week. I think, I think Ryan may have, he may be onto something here. For listeners who may not be, may not remember, maybe new to the show, Rock Sports Network, we do a ton of work with those guys. They do a great job. He's the host of the Huddle TV show. He and Gary, the guy who runs Rock Sports Network, throw a ton of live events that we're lucky enough to be able to work with them on. It's a lot of fun. When are you guys looking to come back with the Huddle TV? Well, so, you know, the big waiting game right now is we're still waiting on uh, Batavia Downs to be given the all clear to open back up because that's kind of our home away from, from home is, uh, is 34 Rush Thurman's. Thurman's bar there in, in Batavia Downs and, and we're you know again just waiting on them to kind of get the okay to to open things back up and, and start to try to get a little bit of normalcy but you know with training camp supposedly right around the corner from from everything that we're seeing you know there's still some things to figure out I know we're going to talk about that but you know our show's probably going to start up here in another couple weeks and uh hopefully we're going to talk football well into January but um you know we're, again we're going to talk a little bit more about that because I'm not as optimistic as everybody that uh things are going to finish as smoothly as they seem to be starting. So. Well, we're aware. I'm well aware of your questionable opinions on these <laughs> subjects. And this is going to mark the first time. I mean, we, we just got Chris and I opened the show talking about return to normalcy and how doing some of the things that you're used to doing, things you would be doing this time of year, it just it, it makes things a little bit easier to deal with. This is going to be the first time since when that you haven't held credentials for training camp. Yeah, this will be the first time in, I think, six maybe five years. So last four years we've been at camp and uh, covering the team. And, you know, really um, this year the, the restrictions that they're putting on media being at camp really kind of leaves what I do a little bit moot. You know, you can't live tweet during practice. Mm -hmm. um, you can't tweet about formations and, you know, uh, personnel groupings and things like that. And that's kind of where I make my, my hay in training camp is given fans that, level of breakdown trying to bring camp to them you know if they're not able to attend letting you know you know who are the three wide receiver sets and who's playing left tackle who's rotating in at certain positions that's all getting removed this year you know that's not something that you're going to be able to live tweet during practice and a lot of that has to do with the lack of preseason games and and coaches using this as an opportunity to to kind of lock down the privacy to camp um you know but it's definitely going to be interesting to see how those guys like Sal and, and Matt Perino and, and those types of guys that make their living doing this, how do they have to then change what it is they're doing at camp in order to bring news, um, not being able to interview players as frequently, coaches as frequently, not having those media scrums, you know, feeding off of each other's questions and things like that. It's going to be really interesting to see how these guys adapt um, to, to what their new normal is going to look like. And I'm really excited because I, I firmly believe Buffalo has some of the best media members in the NFL um, so it's going to be interesting to see how you know those guys get creative with their coverage this year well you're welcome <laughs> Chris I I swear to God sometimes don't see now you're on camera with us don't you sometimes just want to put him in a headlock 
he does have a he does have what they would refer to as a punchable face, but uh, <laughs> I'm a Chris fan. I yeah. know you are. Not not as punchable as Dan Snyder. No, Dan, yeah. he's on the Mount Rushmore of punchable faces. That wow. guy. But so Ryan and I. Yeah. Here's the thing about Ryan. We love to debate and argue. That that's no joke. That that that's something we've been doing for years. We both have egos big enough to sell ad space on. We're both snarky by nature. <laughs> we speak well. And I think that if I drank just a little bit less, I could probably keep up with him most of the time. <laughs> but before we can do any of that here tonight, I feel like we have to quickly lay out the structure of the situation at hand because it's a complicated thing, Chris. Training camps being allowed to open. First of all, where we stand today as you saw in our promo video for this week's podcast over on our Twitter handle, at Rockball Report, this weekend we put the finishing touches on a welcome home package of sorts for friend of the show and Bill's team captain, Reed Ferguson. Now, Chris, what, how many 70-some-odd Seagrams? 72. <laughs> They're all right here in the fridge 70, right here. 72 Seagrams. Uh, what, what, what was it? Nine here? different Sweet Baby Rays. I got them Speedy Sauce. Uh, Chevettas. We got uh, a nice bottle of champagne, stubs. too. Something for the ladies. You know, that's how you welcome a team captain home. But he's back to town because things have finally started moving in the direction of training camps kicking off. And as a veteran, he's got roughly about two weeks to prepare for this. Now, going back to last week, there was finally, after a lot of debate over whether or not this would even start, there was some sparks to go along with all the smoke that had been circulating, indicating that things on the NFL front could be rapidly coming to a head in terms of a decision as to whether or not we were going to get going. It first started with multiple teams announcing, kind of like the Bills and Chiefs did, that they had agreed to a structure and a, how they were going to handle their tickets. That was the kind of the first inkling that, hey, there's some things going on behind the scene. Seven football teams came out and announced that, hey, we've come to an agreement on the structure of how season tickets are going to work, who can opt out, and how you can buy back in should football happen. Then there was the announcement from the NFLPA midweek that they'd be taking part in a call with the NFL owners to discuss the multitude of issues at play to see whether or not things would actually even get up off the ground. I mean, Chris, I had fear that this was going to turn into like the Wright brothers' first attempt at flying. You ever seen that old video of the guy with the bicycle and all the wings <laughs> and he just crashes? That's what I thought this was going to turn into. And then Friday morning news leaked that the league and the NFLPA had already agreed on a bunch of matters, which is very unlike the two of them. Things like the mechanics and deadlines of a player opt-out clause. And then it seemed like training camp was picking up steam. And then, as you heard in the intro of tonight's show, on Friday evening came the announcement that the NFL and NFLPA had held a, a big conversation. And on their call, DeMarie Smith and J.C. Treader, both president and head of the NFL Players Association, essentially gave the green light and said that they were had heard enough that they were optimistic about getting the ball rolling. Now, Ryan, did you think that the process would even get to that point when that announcement came? Um, no, I, I think, you know, honestly, your analogy of trying to fly with the guy driving the bike and, and kind of the wings flapping around him and he gets like, you know, kind of hovers over the ground and then he comes down. That's kind of a, a great analogy actually. And it's, I'm, I'm a little upset that I didn't think of it myself, but um, you know, it's, it, it's, I, I thought that they'd get to where they are. I thought that they'd get to the point where, you know, agreements were in place. We had a go, we had testing, um, rosters were trimmed down to kind of accommodate social distancing things like that um 
I'll believe that we're going to have a season when teams are kicking off to start the season. That's when I'll <laughs> believe that this thing's actually going to get off the ground and, and fly for a little bit. And, and I don't know that that's going to be September first weekend in September, you know, that, that very well could get pushed back. And, and it sounds like a lot of team owners aren't necessarily against that GMs aren't against pushing the season back. I know you and I talked back in March or, or when it all started, right? I think it may have been May that we talked after the draft. And we kind of talked about that, the NFL being the Goliath that it is, they, they can start whenever they want to start. Um, and I think there's just too much money involved for this thing not to, to go, but I'll, I'll believe that this is going to actually happen when pads are flying and, and, you know, kickers are kicking off. See, Chris, this is what I love. I don't even have to try to set the table for, for our listeners as far as the, the place that Ryan is approaching this from. He does it himself. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of self-incriminates in terms of his level of optimism. I don't even have to force him to lay it out. I love this. So on Sunday... After taking 48 hours of heat from the press and players on social media, the league finally sent the NFLPA what they call an IDER. That's what we're going to refer to it for the rest of the podcast. It stands for Infectious Disease Emergency Response Plan for all 32 teams. And apparently, at least eight of them have been approved. I mean, all of the plans were approved by the NFL's chief medical officer. Some of them were already approved as early as Sunday night. Others are still kind of in the conversation part. Because, Chris, when you're talking about a COVID response plan, things are so things are different from one county to the next, much less state to state. There is no one size fits all approach that's going to work. Those are the things that we know. So when you're trying to parse through all this and you want to say, Here, here's what the league has been saying about all this. Because I want to look at what the league is saying and what the players are saying, because that's where you're going to find out where your divisions still lie. The NFL must genuinely feel like it's got a good amount of buy-in from the players because Troy Vincent sent out an email to all 32 NFL GMs on Saturday, including our own Brandon Bean, officially setting the dates for training camp to begin. When everyone had to report, here they are, they're set in stone. That's important, Chris, because those are the dates where teams can start to find players who don't show up. $30,000 a day if you don't report. And since the league has set that in stone, these are the dates. Ryan, you have to agree that that makes these feel pretty confident that things were going to at least get off the ground, right? Yeah, they're. Uh, I think that's uh, confident that they're going to get pe- get these guys in for testing, which is the first step to showing them that this is a legitimate plan that's going to work. I, I do agree that setting a date is that first step. Okay, and so from a motivational standpoint, the NFL has to want. To, I mean, they have to desperately want to get this stuff rolling, if for nothing else but to protect their own bottom line, Chris. Think about it this way. I'm going to use a fancy word. You're going to forget it in five minutes. Force majeure. Can you try to hold on to that for... Je ne sais quoi? <laughs> it's as best I can do. Soup du jour? Sure. Je ne sais quoi. It's a legal term that's essentially the equivalent of disaster insurance. If, if something terrible happens, Chris, like say a serious disease that spreads across, I don't know, the entire planet... Having this clause in your sports CBA would ensure that if the season didn't happen, you, you as an owner could say to the people playing under it, act to God, am I right? <laughs> and not cut a check to anyone until sports actually started being played. In what seems to me like either an oversight by the owners or a solid concession won by the players in this last round of negotiations, the NFL doesn't have this. 
So they could end up being on the hook for players' guaranteed salaries, even if games don't take place and they don't make any revenue. So, Chris, if you were a person who had a lot to lose with a bunch of people, you would be pretty, pretty friggin' accommodating, wouldn't you? Yes. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Ryan, am I wrong in any of this? No, I mean, you know, I working in, you know, you and I, Drew, we both kind of work in, in finance or at least in the financial arm of, of our companies and you understand how important force majeure is in any contract that you sign. Yep. I work with I work with Fortune, you know, 50 banks on a regular basis and all of our contracts have a force majeure in them which essentially says if there's an act of God that's outside of our control, we have no obligation to fulfill this contract. It's it's an automatic out. If there if there, you know, if, if a hurricane, you know, comes through and wipes out our building and we're not able to work, you know, our clients can't hold us accountable for for that work being done. It's the same thing. And how there's not a force majeure in the NFL CBA, to your point, it, it must be something that was collectively bargained because I sincerely doubt that guys like Jerry Jones and those guys who are involved on that owner's side don't understand the importance of it. Oh, so not it at must all. Have been something that the players won as a concession thinking something like this could never happen, which I think a lot of Americans are still under that belief that something like this can't happen. I mean, what could possibly derail the NFL? (laughs) I mean, it's, we talked about it in your last appearance here. It's the 800 pound gorilla in terms of just sports anywhere in the world. But to that end, in what I think is another uncharacteristic move, the league has come out, I mean, think about how contentious things have gotten in our lifetime between the Players Association and the NFL. We had a lockout. We've had a lot of pushing and shoving and disgruntlement between players and owners. We've seen a lot. We've seen players sit out because they've been franchise tagged and teams that say, listen, I'll franchise tag you and I'll make you sit here on it. I'll Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell wasted a season of his career sitting on the bench because the team wouldn't make him happy. They held fast to what they wanted. So over my lifetime, I've gotten used to this idea that the owners call the shots, players have a little bit of wiggle room, and that's just the way things are. So the amount of bending that they've done throughout the course of this process, I think, underscores this lack of a force majeure. And the fact that right now the iron is hot in terms of the players being able to get what they want from these owners. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I mean, I think, you know, the owners need revenue. Right. And and you go back to, you know, the, the strike and you go back to some of the other issues that the, the union has had with the NFL. And you know, I think it was the GM of Dallas at the time. I can't remember who the name was, but he said something along the lines of this. You know, essentially, we're the ranchers and you're the cattle is what he said about the players. The problem with that analogy is that there's no ranch without the cattle. Right. And right now with the NFL, there's no there's no NFL without the players as much as the owners want to kick, yell, and scream, the players hold a lot of the, you know, a lot of the power in this because as much as the owners want to, you're not going to be able to have the NFL as it is today without Russell Wilson, without Patrick Mahomes, without J.J. Watt. If those guys walk away, you know, this isn't 30 years ago where the gap between guys playing on the field and guys that were sitting at home you know, that could become a scabs that, you know, that gap is much larger than it was before. You know, these guys are elite of the elite athletes. And if they decide to, to sit because they don't feel comfortable, that's a big problem for the NFL. I mean, and um, that's why I think they had so many concessions, right? I don't, I don't know, Ryan. I think maybe some of your concerns are a little overblown. I mean, we have athletes like Chris 
Now, Chris is constantly <laughs> reminding us that he's an athlete. I'm sure he could go out there and put on the number 99 and do J.J. Watt's job. No, you wouldn't notice it, right? You'd never notice that the switch had happened. Yeah, it'd be like Brian Bosworth. <laughs> but with better hair. <laughs> Jesus. So the last piece of NFL PR that I saw on this was early Monday. I watched a video by the Vikings that was kind of promoted by the NFL giving a tour of their facility and outlining their quarantine protocols, which I got to say, seem pretty robust. Uh, you know, things like a 20 person maximum for the weight room, social distance enabled auditoriums, two person maximum for every elevator, all clearly marked with space to social distance, a disinfectant trailer for all essential personnel to enter and exit the facility from every single day. And electrostatic foggers to disinfect the rooms the players occupy the most. The gym, the offices, the bathrooms, the eating spaces. Now, when I see that, I think, okay, the reason this is a video and the reason it's on every major feed going into Monday morning is because this is the NFL saying, look, we want to get out in front of this and swing a little bit of public perception our way. We want to show the world that we're taking this seriously and then putting in place a lot of protocols that other professions are already already enacting and that other professions are currently working under. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't think it has any I don't think that the move comes as like, hey, we're really taking this seriously, so much as it's and I'm not saying that they're not. I'm saying it's a PR tool. You you, you don't make that video unless you plan on saying, hey, look, there's a lot of people who are working under con- conditions that aren't quite this coddled, that aren't quite this secure. So the players almost look bad if they balk at it. Does that, would you agree with me being a little skeptical of that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things you and I talked about in the last time that we were on here is the NFL has had the, the, the ability to go into this thing with the with eyes wide open, right? We've seen, you know, Euro, European soccer get up and going. We've seen, you know, the MLB get going. The NBA has started in their bubble, the MLS, and they've seen successes. The NFL has been able to watch all of this, take what's worked for them, and implement it. And I think one of the things that that video does is you saw a lot of backlash over the last week or so with the NFL where, where people have said they've had four months to figure this out. How is it that they don't have it figured out yet? So I a lot of you. this, I think, was the NFL saying, you know, listen, we haven't been sitting back just kicking the can down the road. Like we've been putting things in place. We've been preparing to bring these guys back in. Just because we haven't shown you what we're doing doesn't mean we haven't been doing anything. So I think that there's a lot to be said for that. And for somebody who's as critical of the NFL as I am with, with what they're doing right now, I'm not one that believes that they've been sitting around doing nothing for four months. I mean, and I'll ask it this way. If, if all the listeners that are can stop and think four months ago, what do we know now that we that we didn't know then? And I think it's a pretty short list of, mm-hmm. of what you know now that you didn't know four months ago. So I think to blame the NFL for not acting over the last four months, I think that's a little unfair because, you know, our own – government is is back to now masks right i mean trump was on the news today that said put your masks on this thing's going to get worse before it gets better four months ago he was saying this thing is 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 going to disappear in in a, a month and a half so well but, but here's the thing i don't again i'm not getting into the weeds on politics with you but here's what i'll say a lot of people thought that absolutely i yeah, mean so some people that's where it's but, unfair for right, them to hold the NFL a lot of people, accountable when the nfl has felt the same way that everyone else has exactly right? there's a lot of people who felt that way then there's a lot of people who felt like i felt ryan with a pregnant wife and just being the person that i am i just assumed the world was ending that's it 
Stock up on ammunition, make sure your freezers are full, make sure you have a way to defend what you've hoarded, and let's go. Let, let's just, let's get ready for this whole thing to fall apart. Supply chains are going to stop. The, everything's going to come tumbling down around. <laughs> well, because when the day comes where you're right, then who's going to be Exactly. Right, right, everyone calls you a lunatic <laughs> when you're stock, everyone calls you a lunatic when you're stockpiling Rudy's blue cheese like it's going out of style. But I'll tell you what, when the day comes when there's no more left, all of you people are, you'll all be out in the cold, all out in the cold. And I'll be dipping my pizza and wings, Chris, like a king. Kevin Massari, if you're out there, <laughs> how's it taste? Oh my God. But so then shifting to what the players are saying, because the players obviously get their say and they've been more empowered than ever over the course of the last few years to use social media and use their influence and platforms to make their voices heard. And a swath of the league's most influential players, both prior to the releasing of the IDER proposals and after, have taken to social media to voice their concerns over the way the situation is being handled. And some of that includes current and former Buffalo Bills. Now, the one that got the most press was the tweet from J.J. Watt. And to your point, the question, what do we know now that we didn't know four months ago? Well, this is what J.J. Watt said. This is what we want to know and what we don't know. We want to play. We want to be safe. We haven't received a sale, a single valid IDER, which has since been re resolved. We don't know if there's preseason games or not, which has been resolved. The league has, as of today, agreed no preseason. We don't know if there will be daily testing. Again, resolved by the league prior to this podcast. We don't know how a potential positive COVID test would affect contracts, roster spots, etc. That's a big matzo ball still in the air. Nothing has been agreed upon regarding what training camp will actually look like and how the ramp-up period will work. Chris, another matzo ball. Just kind of out there, have a big old matzo ball hanging out in the air. And he knows that they want to play. So when you look at it through that lens, and then you look at what some Bills players are saying. I mean, I mean it's one thing for J.J. Watt to say it. I get it. He's a player. He's, Chris, he's the glorious, he's the host of the uh, world-renowned tag TV show. Yeah, Ryan, this is the guy we're taking our cues from. A guy who's hosting a, perf a game show about tag. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, while Watt, Watt is... He's something. He is, he's the face. He's the most recognizable face on the defensive side of the football. He's right? so I mean, recognizable he's, he's, that as his team is making a comeback in a playoff game, he's the only person on camera. Not the quarterback leading the you know 19-point comeback. Oh, let's just keep showing J.J. Watt because he's so important. <laughs> well, he's he's Captain America, right? I mean, he's a guy that transcends the sport. One of the few guys that transcends the sport. People know who he is beyond um, beyond just the, the game of football. Okay, you well, know, then if he's Captain America, baseball. if he's Captain America, does that make Patrick Mahomes Thanos? Because I'll tell you what, he got real small when uh, when the Chiefs were just stomping him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I, and I think the NFLPA was smart in their marketing campaign of the hashtag we want to play because you'll notice who the first ones you saw that hashtag from. True. Right? Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, J.J. Watt, Patrick Mahomes came out with a, a pretty tepid version of what everyone else was tweeting, if I do say so myself. But, um, you know, it was not it wasn't. Uh, an uncalculated move by the NFLPA to approach that the way they did. So when you look at the Bills players and what our guys are saying, it started with safety Micah Hyde, 
who came out and said that uh, it was noon on the 19th and said, if the NFL doesn't do their part to keep players healthy, there's no football. It's that simple. And then about a half hour later, Stefan Diggs came out and said in something you retweeted, which is the reason I saw it. said, this is the ultimate safety and fairness issue that anyone can imagine. To be clear, we want to play, but we also want to protect ourselves and our families. As players, we take health risks in this game every day, but we've never imagined having to take those risks to our family. Now, it's clear that many of the older and more established players are using that platform to create the type of pressure that they hope will keep them safe in 2020 while they go out and make a living playing the sport that we love. Then there's things like this, which I'm sure you and I can, you, you feel strongly about, from former Buffalo Bill Lorenzo Alexander. According to Pro Football Talk, Alexander stated publicly that because the players and NFL employees aren't operating in a bubble, there's no reason not to test every player and every employee every single day. And there's multiple members of our current roster that seem to agree with them. That's more than 2,800 COVID tests on a daily basis, requiring... A lightning fast turnaround. I mean, Chris, what is it here locally? If I went to go get one, I think I think my results will be back in three to five days. Maybe. I don't know. They need a quick turnaround, which creates a whole new set of logistical issues in terms of the league and team communication. And the whole thing could end up costing over $100 million. Well, right, right here on Pro Football Talk that says there's a report that the NFL will spend roughly 75 mil See? on COVID testing. Okay, so my ballpark wasn't that far off. Now, Ryan, what are your feelings on the eventual agreement struck on this testing front? I know you felt a certain kind of way about this. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's when you read articles coming out of where these COVID hotbeds kind of are, are cropping up, Jacksonville area is one North Carolina, obviously Texas, Albion. You know, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, one article I read in, in North Carolina is that there's certain counties in North Carolina that are so bad in terms of the turnaround time that con contact tracing is almost rendered null and void. And the idea of contact tracing is if somebody tests positive, you go back and figure out everyone that they came in contact with, and then those people have to quarantine um, at least through the incubation period, but definitely through their testing. They're, they're not getting results for 10 to 14 days after the initial test. So by that time, anyone who's got it has already passed it on to dozens and, and hundreds of other people potentially, and, and it's rendering that very difficult. So the, the idea, the knee-jerk reaction for me is thinking of 2,800 tests spread out over 32 different cities across the country with at least, you know, at minimum 24-hour turnaround times where people who are paying for 24-hour turnaround times because they have actual symptoms of COVID can't get their turnaround times in 24 hours. It just comes into an ethical question for me. Is, it, is, is this all something that needs to be done for the sake of playing a game? You know, and I think there's arguments both ways for it. Um, you know, but I think it is a question that, that deserves to be asked is, is this worth being able to watch football if it means it's coming at the expense of Americans who need this testing. And if it doesn't, and that comes out that it doesn't take away from Americans, then by all means, I understand that the rich get richer and the rich get to flex their muscles when it comes to things like this. But if, if these resources can be used to help people who are truly sick and truly, you know, dealing with this 
the question is, should the NFL be taking these types of strides? And that's an interesting question. And I would encourage people who have an opinion about it, tweet at us. Let us know. At Rockpile Report and at Ryan Lasel, what is it? What's, what's your Twitter handle there? Underscore RSN. At Ryan Lasel underscore RSN. Chris, counter, I wouldn't even call it a counterpoint to that because it's a, it's a valid concern. I'm not going to say it's not. But also these are businesses. It's very easy to take a step back and say that, you know, oh, well, it's just a game. It's a game in the sense that to you and me, it's something we watch for fun. To the, to the employees of the companies that these 32 NFL teams truly are. I mean, let's, let's look at it from that, from that perspective. These are companies that conduct multi-billion dollar business in the U.S. every single year. It means a lot to a lot of people. I mean, a, few, a week or two ago, we sat down with Paul Lane from Buffalo Business First and outlined just how catastrophic it would be here in western New York if fans didn't attend the games from a financial standpoint. Public programs would be in jeopardy. You're talking about local businesses suffering, potentially permanently closing. These multi-billion dollar businesses are now kind of infrastructure to a point because the cities that host them have become some, I don't want to say become dependent on them, but they're a boon to a lot of places where they reside. And so in that way, it's not so much a game anymore. It's a business that props up a lot of ancillary businesses that are important to a lot of people. And so, so that makes this kind of, and, and there again, I don't envy anybody who has to find themselves in the middle of this. You know, for everybody who hates their local politician, whether you agree with them, disagree with them, how they've handled this COVID thing, they're not in an enviable position because I'm just a guy who gets to sit here, Chris, and yell at you about sports opinions and drink whiskey. I don't have to make choices that are going to impact hundreds of thousands of people. They do. But so with that, now that we kind of have an understanding of what's happening and players' opinions and what they want and what both sides are saying... Let's take a look at where it goes and the impact of these changes on our Buffalo Bills. I mean, it was today, going into Monday, really, with bated breath. I'm sitting there waiting to see if the first two teams slated to open their camps, the Chiefs and the Texans, would actually show up. Now, it's interesting that, from what I've read, the Texans did report the rookies are there. Couldn't find a whole lot about Chiefs camp other than the people, hey, it's still going. It's still moving. But then at the same time, some other places, Chris, have dialed it back. I mean, just, I mean, you're talking about this is the week where things are supposed to start ramping up. The Giants have already told their rookies to stay away. The Jets have delayed all of the testing for their rookies. So their rookies can't even start the process of getting ready to attend for camp. So Ryan, it... It really is a fluid situation from one area to the next. Yeah, and remember the Texans and Chiefs, they originally were the first ones to get to camp because they were supposed to play in the Hall of Fame game, right? Now that the preseason's been canceled, I think that's where everything has now become kind of up in the air still because, you know, you mentioned there's some there's some pretty significant questions that are still hanging out there that I think need to be figured out, right? Because the union as of, I mean, as of, an hour ago, the union is still pushing to make the ramp up time for camp longer, which means these guys that are reporting already are potentially too early. Right. So I think it's, it's going to be a fluid, you know, again, until these guys line up and start cracking pads, I think this is going to be very, very fluid and, and 
you know, don't hang on any one tweet that you see that says things are a go because things are going to change from minute to minute until they're actually going. Well, here's a tweet I'd like to hang on. You've gone on record on Twitter. I have the receipts. I, Chris, we need to make a drop for that. I have the receipts. <laughs> or maybe, uh, what's his face? Uh, the former governor turned conspiracy theory. Uh, I don't know who you're talking The about. former wrestler who was a governor. Who oh, then, uh, Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura. If we could get a drop of him, just I know it exists. I have the receipts. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but I have them for you, Ryan. Going on Twitter and stating that there is a 0% chance that this season starts on time. Zero. Not even like uh, uh, less than 5%, not a 1%. You said zero. Do you still feel that way, even with all the progress that's been made in the last four days? Yeah. You're yeah. Doubling down on it. Because I think there's a groundswell still internally where... So let me ask you this question, Drew. What's more important for the NFL? Starting on time or finishing the season? Finishing the season, obviously. Then they're going to make sure that this is right before they start putting these guys in, in, in jeopardy. And I, I, I will agree to that. But also, are you willing to place a Seagram's bet? Are you willing to place a Seagram's bet? On the fact that this will not get off the ground on time. Yeah, I think as long as we establish what's on time. I mean, what what's the start date? Kick off for week one. We... Week one as scheduled. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll take a secret in front on that. Ah, Chris, you book it. Yeah, well, I'll be in on that too. I believe that the season is going to begin on time. Ah. Now, obviously, we're being optimistic over here. But to Ryan's point, there's a lot that goes into things as they move forward. In a lot of ways, this can go sideways between now and the start of the actual season. And that's where I want to kind of talk about what we heard in the intro, where the Buffalo Bills go from here. Now, influential players, Chris. That's the, that's the thing I want to put in air quotes here if I could. Influential players naysaying participation in lieu of what they call safer environments. One of the things I scoff at, and we heard Jeff Darlington talk about money and how money could still be a hurdle. The place my mind went to as soon as I heard that is, those are the same influential players who shot down the CBA. And ultimately, the CBA still got passed, whether they liked it or not, in large part because the guys who make up the bulk of the league have more to lose in terms of a work stoppage than the guys who have made their money, who have established themselves and their value in the NFL. So as we hear Jeff Darlington talking about the, in the intro tonight about the importance of money, I want to bring that to you, Ryan. You're talking about a group of players who have influence, but what's the difference between now and the CBA period? How is it that these influential players, like, they're still, I, I almost feel like the monetary issues trump some of these safety issues. And I think that if that's the case, we're, if that's what we're looking at, then established players really don't hold as much sway as we give them credit for. Would you agree with me or would you disagree with me on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing to take away and the, and the reason that I retweeted specifically Stefan Diggs's tweet is because I think that's what the difference is between this and the CBA. When they start talking about taking this home to their families, that's where all these guys have a common thread, right? They might not drive the same cars. They might not live in the same houses, size, you know, the same size houses. They might not eat the same dinners, but they're all going home to a family. And when you start thinking about a concussion, that's not something you bring home in most cases, right? We know what it looks like down the line with guys like Junior Seau and whatnot. But by and large, you're not gonna, your, your family's not going to catch a concussion if you come home with one. 
and your family's not going to potentially die if, if you come home with a concussion. This is a very real situation that, you know, people have, have died from it, and a lot of them have. And a lot of these guys are coming home to families. And that's where I think the common thread is. And I think that's where safety starts to win out a little bit over money. I mean, these guys, you know, th- these lower tier guys, these guys on their first contracts making the league minimum, they can't afford to miss checks. I mean, that's not a surprise to anybody. They don't make a lot of money when you think of things in the grand scheme of things. But what they can't afford, too, is to lose their family because their family is going to be with them long term. And I think that's where things start to win. Well, and that, and that truly is where decisions have to be made. And that's why the Buffalo Bills are interesting to me. Here, Chris, not for nothing, but COVID. COVID struck when Josh Allen was still out on the left coast playing uh, Three's Company with Sam Darnold and his buddy uh, Kyle Allen. Yep. Okay. So when that was going on, our quarterback was out there kind of in quarantine with these three people. His girlfriend was out there. Their girlfriends were out there. But by, 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 by and large, word on the street was that they were keeping to themselves. And they were taking care of what they had to take care of. They were working out in isolation. They were doing video chats. and th- But then we watched our quarterback go on a nationwide tour. Yeah, flying around California the, to Florida to go throw. He flew from where, wherever the hell Sam Darnold lives, flew to Southern California to work out with some of the rookies. Then he flew to Florida, flying in the middle of the pandemic, flew to Florida to go work out with his players, with John Brown, with Stefan Diggs. With, and people applauded this, Chris. And I sat there to myself and didn't really say much, but I was like, you know, I find it interesting that people who get upset about this kind of thing, nobody's mad at this. These guys are doing this when there's states that are, Florida being one of them, Chris, <laughs> that have had significant coronavirus concerns. So with that said, this is something, that, that those are risks, though, that these guys took on and I don't want to say flaunted, but they took them on. Not even getting paid for it, Chris. This isn't even them earning paychecks. This isn't isn't even them actually competing. This is them going out just to practice together. I think through that lens, if you look at the conversation like that, here's a group of guys who have already proven that in the middle of this thing, when it was getting at its peak of, hey, we don't know anything and it's happening and we don't have protocols in place, states are scrambling to come up with answers, these guys were still going out and doing this practicing. If you put actual paychecks on the line, you put NFL games on the line, I feel like the competitor in these guys sometimes wins out. I mean, Ryan, what does that do to your opinion? And what does that do to your attitude towards all this? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think, you know, I think ultimately if if there's games to be played, these guys are going to play. I don't think you're going to see a lot of NFL players opting out. Um you might see some vet guys on their third contract, you know, waning towards the end of their careers. We've seen that with the NBA, right? We've seen some guys that are kind of, you know, in the twilights of their career or even approaching the twilights to say, you know what, I'm good. I'm going to punt till the next year and, and I'll see I'll see you guys when, when things are back to relatively normal. Um, you know, Micah Hyde came out early on in this process and said, you know, if push comes to shove and there's a season, I don't know if I'm going to play. And I think he's the kind of guy that I could see sitting out the yeah. season. I don't think I don't think Hyde specifically, but a guy like that who's you know, well, again, think, he's on his 
end of his second into his third deal. And I don't know, even think it's getting older. I don't even think that to me, so much of it isn't even what you have in the bank. That's nice. You sign the deal. You have a contract. But we've seen contracts. I mean, in the NFL, until they get fully guaranteed contracts, they're not worth the paper they're written on. Teams will cut you. They'll be shrewd. What it is is that he, Micah Hyde has now established his value in the NFL. If, he, if the Buffalo Bills were to move on from Micah Hyde for whatever, for any reason, he would have a job making pretty much what he's making now somewhere in the NFL. Someone would bring him in to do his current job at roughly about what he's making. He's established his own value. The problem is, is that there's a thousand other players who haven't. And those are the guys that are, that are going to be kind of, I don't want to say balking at this, but that might be willing to push some of this. And that's why the Buffalo Bills are so interesting to me. They're a young football team with a number of players who seem to fit the mold of those susceptible to that kind of pressure to compete in order to just make their bones, make their name. That's why you see the most vocal guys have been these older, already gotten paid, already viewed as valuable NFL football players. Now, when you think about that in terms of the Buffalo Bills and the fact that we are this young nucleus of players, Josh Allen, who's looking to make his name as a quarterback in the NFL because to this point, he still has a lot of detractors and he still hasn't proven that he's the guy you give a $33 million a year contract to. He's proven he has a lot to prove and I think the fact that he flew all over the country doing practices and the run-up to all this says something about his mentality and the way he plans on approaching that. So given what we know about COVID and how tenuous the situation could become, do you think it's important or what do you think the importance is of having the culture of accountability already ingrained into an organization like ours that we've had under Sean McDermott? And if you're talking about them getting this up off the ground, responsible hygiene and decision-making, communication, accountability. It seems like the Bills have already checked all those boxes. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they've got things that they just need to add to the process, right? I mean, they they need to add some things to the to the check mark or to the checklist. You know, wash your hands, stay away from each other. If you're feeling even a little bit sick, go see the doctor, you know, get your testing done. Um, there are a few teams in the NFL that I would have, I would have more confidence in saying are built to handle a situation like this than the bills are top to bottom. I think they're one of the strongest organizations, not only from the, from the front office, but the coaching staff. And I think the leadership structure that's in place at the player level, um, you know, it's, it's next man up mentality. And that's the mentality you have to have in a situation like this, when there's a lot of unknowns is next man up. And the bills have drilled that for the last three years going into their fourth season. And, you know, I, I think they're definitely built to handle something like this. Um, you know, if, if there's certain rules and regulations that need to be added to the process, they'll add them, and I think they'll be they'll be okay. They they won't be in chaos like I think some other teams are getting ready to head into. Oh, absolutely. I mean, part of that, Chris, part of that's the environment. I mean, Buffalo, say what you I love it. I'll never leave. It's not exactly a, uh, the nightlife here isn't what it would be in places like, I don't know, Miami, New Jersey, Los Angeles. Hoboken, Vegas, <laughs> Vegas, but no, Buffalo is part of an area that when you look at it compared to the rest of the country, I think this also is a boon for our Buffalo Bills. It's relatively low in COVID cases. I mean, I checked the stats, 16 active hospitalizations as of Monday, only four ICUs for extreme symptoms in all of Western New York. 
our infection rate's below 1%, which is why we're even having a discussion about potentially sitting in seats in the first place, potentially having football. I mean, look at New Jersey. Their governor already came out and said, no fans this year. Why? Because our situation is too out of control. We can't handle it. And I'm already nixing it before it even becomes a discussion. We're still here having the conversation because of the, I, I almost think the geography and the makeup of Buffalo makes, I don't want to, nothing safe, but it makes us safer than a lot of other NFL cities. And this, this weekend's numbers mark the lowest our infection rates have been since March before testing truly got up off the ground. And then there's a tweet from Michael, Michael Hurley on Twitter. It says, this is from the NFLPA. NFL cities, quote unquote, ranked by 14-day average of COVID-19 cases per 100,000 people. And they took a look at them and said, here's where the NFL teams are located, and here's who's in the areas of highest risk versus lowest risk. Per this data, Chris, you know how much I love me a chart. Scroll down there. I see it. Miami, 67.5. Arizona, 54.8. What? Scroll down. I'm looking at what you're looking at. No, see, that's a chart, sir. This chart. You didn't make this. <laughs> no, I couldn't. But I'll tell you what. I pitched a half stack when I saw it. I was like, oh, that's a good chart. You probably did. I just smoke a cigarette after I looked at it. <laughs> well, I can see that uh, Miami's at the top and the rest of the division is at the bottom. Yeah. Metropolitan statistics areas for NFL teams, they're talking about average cases. The Buffalo Bills are the third lowest in the NFL. Meanwhile, you look at a place like Miami, the Miami Dolphins are the worst in the NFL. They're in the middle of, an, of a legitimate hotspot right now. Whether you believe in it or not, these are cases being reported. You can, again, I'm not here to debate the validity of testing because we could do a podcast on that. But with that said, per the available data, and Chris, that is a hell of a chart. Um, we retweeted it over at Rockpile Report. Go check it out. That would mean that of all NFL cities, the Bills by nature of our stature, is kind of a lower-tier city in terms of population density. We're, in the, we're one of the three safest places for football to take place. What do you think about that? I, I think that's extremely important because you look at these other sports that are getting up and going, and they're, they're operating within a bubble, right? The NBA, the NFL, to some extent the, the MLB are operating within within bubbles, and the NFL is not going that route right now. So being a, a city that's, you know, smaller population density, smaller uh, numbers in terms of COVID cases and, and active infections and things like that, that's going to be important. That's a, a, you know, one of the things I, I talked to you earlier about, Drew, that's a competitive advantage, right, that, that some teams are going to have over others is that, you know, you may deal with in Tampa and in Miami and in other cities, you may be dealing with multiple instances of your players getting sick early in the season, middle of the season, late in the season. Buffalo, you, you might be able to operate under the idea that maybe nobody on your team is going to get sick. And I think that's, um, you know, that that's going to be a huge benefit when it comes to win loss record down the line. Oh, absolutely. I mean, talking about competitive benefit, this lack of a preseason that COVID has kind of precipitated here for football. So much has been made out of it since they announced it this morning. I, I told Turn on the Jets head honcho Joe Caparoso that I can't wait to talk to him and his crew in our upcoming AFC's preview series about this topic because I feel like they are easily one of the NFL squads most damaged by the loss of that preseason. I mean, you look at who the Jets are. They're a team 
starting four new offensive linemen, two new wide receivers, with a quarterback who desperately needs some kind of help and protection, a running back who has no idea what he's getting in terms of blocking in front of him, and out of the gate of the season, Brian, they play four of the most, I would say, statistically ferocious front sevens in football. They have a huge task in front of them. I think, if anything, this lack of a preseason absolutely doomed the doomed the Jets to a bad start to the season. Meanwhile, you look at a team like the Buffalo Bills. Now, I know you're a listener to our podcast. I'm sure you recall our recent show from mid-June where we took an in-depth look at the ESPN continuity rankings that had the Buffalo Bills ranked number one. In a, in a season where you potentially have no live bullets flying until the games actually mean something, who would you bet your money on? A team with four new offensive linemen and a rookie who have never played together gelling in time to win a meaningful football game? Teams installing new quarterbacks and potentially whole new playbooks on the fly. Teams banking on the upside and production of rookies. Or the Buffalo Bills roster that's re- returning almost every single starter from last season and bringing in new faces that outside of a few outliers like running back Zach Moss, defensive tackle Quinton Jefferson, or Stephon Diggs have either played on this team with this quarterback and head coach or have played in this defensive system before. Who are you putting your money on in the AFC East? Yeah, I mean, any any team right now operating with a new head coach, a new coordinator, a new quarterback is at a severe disadvantage with some with the news that's coming out about what training camp's going to look like, what the preseason's going to look like, and how this thing is going to look. I mean, there was there was a tweet from Tom Pelissaro not right before we got going uh, on the show that they're talking about chopping rosters down to eighty roster spots for training camp instead of 90 that's a huge impact to teams that have a lot of gaps in their in their team a lot of roster holes that they need to fill i mean this this is like i said this is going to get worse before it gets better for what in terms of teams and how they're going to have to pivot and react to what this preseason is going to look like and you know again i'll double down and say that very few teams are more equipped to deal with this than the Buffalo Bills. I mean, I think of a team like the Seattle Seahawks built extremely well to deal with something like this. The, the New England Patriots, you know, even though they're dealing with a new quarterback situation, but they're built to deal with things like this because of how they're structured. The Buffalo Bills are right there among the top five teams, probably in terms of how how they're built to deal with these types of curveballs and, and moving targets. Um, so Bills fans in general, with the news that's coming out and as things get more... As things change, I think the more confident Bills fans should be in their team because the the more things change, the more teams that aren't built the right way are going to struggle. And the early part of the season, I think, is going to be real ugly football for a lot of football teams. Ryan, I couldn't agree with you more. I think our Buffalo Bills are set up for a lot of success regardless. Chris, when's the last time you could say that? When's the last time you... Even in a even in a pre even in Chris, can we call this the craziest off season in NFL history? Yes, it is. Okay, so even in the face of the craziest off season in NFL history, how nuts is it that we're sitting here talking about how the sky isn't falling? In fact, if anything, we feel more confident about our team stacked up against everybody else's. Am yeah. I losing my mind here? Yeah. 
we haven't been uh, this good heading into a season since '88. I mean, I'm sleep deprived, and I'm I'm on Chris. I'm I'm running on fumes, but I can't be so delirious as to <laughs> like this. Feels like I'm dreaming that we're sitting here having this conversation about the fact that our Buffalo Bills are more equipped than some of even some of the NFL's biggest names in terms of marquee franchises to handle what 2020 is going to throw at us. And so with that in mind, Chris, I'm really excited about get, getting kind of moving forward and finding out what the NFL has in store, how things are going to change, whether or not we're going to be able to see any of it. I mean, ultimately, that's what's, that's what's laid out in front of us. But we should all sleep a little bit better at night knowing that the makeup of our team damn fine right now and we are in great shape. All right, you can go find Ryan Lacell on Twitter at Ryan Lacell underscore RSN. Always good stuff. Hopefully, you know, he gets back to doing his stuff with his show, The Huddle. I know. It's, it, his show's so dependent on what's going on in season that I, and I feel bad about the credentials thing. I mean, Chris, he still is, he's, he's the only person to have witnessed with his own two eyes the embarrassing debacle of me being yelled at by training camp security. Yeah. <laughs> when I walked onto the practice field without really knowing it. But that's why you don't give people like me credentials. Guys, training camp's underway. It's going to be a lot of fun to see where all this goes. I feel good. Chris, do you feel good? I do. I'm going to put up a Twitter poll tomorrow. I, I suggest you all go to at Report on Twitter and vote. How good do you feel? about the NFL and the direction of the Buffalo Bills. Go vote. Let us know what you think. But we got to get the hell out of here. Huge thank you to Ryan Lacell for showing up tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rockpile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.